glad you could join us for episode 78 of Fatalist. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne. How you doing, man? Hey, great, Dave. And I am not going to talk about the weather this time. All right. No this is, mention this is, at all. That's right. This is take three for us. We, uh, we're having Skype problems, and now we're going old school, actually talking to each other on the telephone while we are recording, well, the way we usually do. So uh, I've done this before with Mike, and it worked out okay, so uh, we'll see. But Anyway, we'd love to hear from the listeners. You can shoot us an email at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or go to the website at fatalistpodbean.com. Leave a voicemail via the SpeakPipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment. Now, tonight we're here to discuss Season 1, Episode 3. Now, now you uh, were caught off guard for a minute, and, and depending on which episode guide you look at, some list it as Episode 3, some list it as episode two now you, you know again that uh, as episode three that would mean the pilot was one and two which is ordinarily what they usually do when it's a two-hour pilot either way it's an episode entitled heat so i'm pretty sure you saw the right one sure yeah that that is the one i saw and you just kind of threw me for a loop uh when, when you threw that out there but then you know when you explained it, it was like oh yeah yeah okay i got it so uh all right now before we get into that in tonight's installment of do we care uh, do we care that marvel's agents of shield is adding at least four new characters to season two because to me that seems like a lot this is actually something i care about quite a bit actually dave um i'd like to refer to this as the 90s batman effect right so those of you around then you kind of know where i'm going with this one all right so we start off the first movie michael keaton's batman Jack Nicholson's the Joker, one bad guy, one good guy. Great movie. Everybody loved it. Bam. Good to go. Next movie, we got uh, Keaton back as Batman. And now we got Penguin, Danny DeVito, and also Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. So we've added a bad guy. Still a good movie. Maybe not quite as good as the one before, right? Keaton stops doing it. Step in Val Kilmer. And now, you know, now I don't even know. How, who comes in where I, I think was that Robin comes in this one and now we got Poison Ivy and then the Riddler and just right now, now what we don't know is how many episodes these characters are going to appear in now you know obviously we're all excited uh Lucy Lawless is going to be playing Isabella Hartley and, and, and again I'm nowhere near versed in the Marvel universe as much as you are but uh we'll have uh Nick Block playing uh, Lance Hunter, Reed Diamond playing Daniel Whitehall, and uh, oh, Reed Diamond, yeah, and Barbara Morris, aka Mockingbird. I, I'm not sure there's an actress attached to it, or or they're not announcing it yet, or I've just missed it. But but there's four right off the bat that seem to be fairly prominent characters. And again, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But it just seems like a lot. Like you, I love the show, and and it, you know, it's it's great the way it is. I, I'm I don't like change, but we'll see. Yeah, well, you know, like, you know, kind of my point is that it seems like when, uh, like, superhero movies especially start to founder a little bit creatively, their solution, oh, let's bring in more superheroes, right? Right. And uh, and it doesn't work out, really. You're nah. just bringing in, a, the, like, it's the more, like, and it happens in Spider-Man movies as well. You know, the more bad guys you bring in, the more good guys you bring in, it just muddles the story. And, and that's really what ends up getting hurt is the story. Yep. Um, but Reed Diamond... You know he's going to be a shifty guy, yep. right? He, he always plays a shifty character. 
Well, we don't have too much longer to wait. Do we care? Yes, we care. And I think we're both uh, fingers crossed and, you know, we'll see how it goes. So, Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm liking it, but we'll see. All right. Now, in some sci-fi news tonight, uh, it's been more than a year since news about Sci-Fi Network's potential Arthur C. Clarke adaptation of Childhood's End was talked about, but the network's finally given it a green light. Six-hour miniseries adaptation was first put into development early last year, and the studio has now given it a go. Uh, project's going to be produced by Michael DeLuca, who did The Social Network, and Akiva Goldsman, who did A Beautiful Mind. Now, you're going to like the fact that it's going to have a distinct Whovian flavor, directed by Doctor Who alum Nick Huron, and written by Doctor Who writer Matthew Graham. Now, I don't nice. know if you're familiar with the novel or not, are you? No. Okay, it's awesome. Uh, It is the tale of a peaceful alien invasion that essentially turns the world into a near utopia. It's going to be right up our alley, I guarantee you. Now, the book was published in 1953 and tells the story of alien overlords who come to rule Earth. They end all war, but everything is not exactly as it seems. And their arrival sets off a whole series of events that will change mankind forever. Uh, Sci-Fi president Dave Howe said this about the series, as we aggressively develop scripted programming over a diverse creative landscape, we want our content to reflect the greatest sci-fi stories from the past and present. The powerful themes of childhood's end from the fearsome price of peace and prosperity to the very question of what constitutes a human being remain fascinating and timeless. This will be the most ambitious project for sci-fi in many years. And, you know, again, coming on the heels of Falling Skies, uh, Defiance, it, it's going to fit right in. And, and to be honest, if they do it right, it'll even eclipse those. And, and, you know, obviously we both like those shows. Well, at least, you know, for one more season for Falling Sky, who knows with Defiance, right? Yeah. Now, assuming sci-fi manages to bring the book to the small screen the way it appears, uh, they will have succeeded where many have failed. Apparently, uh, Director Stanley Kubrick tried to make it in the 1960s, but was unable to secure the rights. Uh, there was a version by Abraham Polinsky that never made it out of the scripting phrase. And as late as 2002, Universal Studios was kicking it around, and Kim Pierce was attached to direct it at the time, but nothing ever came of it. So uh, no specific timeline for when it might arrive, but people that are good at speculating think maybe mid to late 2015. All right. Now, one one cool. short piece, and you're going to like this one. All right. We're still a month away from Supernatural's 10th season, but TV Guide has put together an infographic breaking down the Winchester's 117 total deaths. <laughs> Most fans of the long-running CW series know that the heroes, played by Jensen Ackles and Jared Padalecki, have died a lot during the show's near-decade run. Now, admittedly, most of these deaths came in the Season 3 episode Mystery Spot, which had Dean dying over and over and over. I was about to say, that's that's not really fair. That's inflated uh, uh, information and, and statistics. But the infographic breaks down all the deaths, the causes, the resurrections, the effect it had, and who leads the death chart season by season. So I put a link in the show notes and it really is impressive. I mean, you know, you'll like it because you know the show. Uh, not knowing the show, it was still impressive. So check it out. The link will be in the show notes. That's it for Sci-Fi News tonight. All right. I thought you were gonna, you, when you told me before there was something that I would like, which I did like the bit about Supernatural. That was awesome. Yeah. But I thought you were going to tell me about the uh, trailers for the new Star Wars movie that are out. Oh, no. haven't seen them. I typically stay away from trailers, but we will see. All right. Well, listen. 
some other exciting news. Got a few emails this week and uh, haven't heard from Bradley Huffer in a while, but it was great to hear from him again. Brad, thanks so much for checking in. And he says, hello, Dave and Wayne. I think going back to recap Dark Angel was a great idea. The show was absolutely amazing back in its day, and I was a huge fan that even ran a group about the show. First, it's too bad screen caps of the show are hard to find. Don't I know that? And all I can say in defense is that back in the day, there were several fan sites that are now long gone where pictures were in abundance. Now, for a little bit of historical significance, the night Dark Angel premiered was also the night of the first presidential debates here in the U.S. The Fox Network took a lot of heat for airing this show over the debate, even though Fox did air the debate later that evening and every other network was showing it live. Well, there, at least Fox made one good decision about sci-fi television. Yeah, exactly. Now, he also says the slang on the show does take a little getting used to, but I don't get the big dealio. If you guys want to play a fun drinking game during the show, (laughs) take one drink when Max's beeper goes off, two when someone gets excited over an item that is commonplace today, and three when Lydecker just misses catching Max. Again, yeah, I, I I probably wouldn't even remember the end of the episode if, if I'd done that for this last one. I hear you. And he says, again, thanks for the trip down memory lane. I'm glad we don't live in a world with $8.50 sodas and 13-digit telephone numbers, but I do like to visit it. Brad, thanks so much for checking in, and uh, you know, hopefully you'll stick with us as we go down. Now, for you, memory lane, for Wayne and myself, this is a first viewing, so uh, we're pretty excited. Now, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, the other email is a, a short one from Lisa Pogue, and she recommends to us the Dresden Files. Uh, have you ever seen Dresden Files on Netflix? And I did check. It's also on Amazon. And she says, thought you guys would enjoy it, especially the fake characters. And, you know, we're always interested in what the fans and listeners think uh, we might like and maybe should check out. And, you know, I was thinking, Wayne, uh, you know, back in the day when we started the podcast, when we used to do all those pilot previews, you know, who knows? Maybe we can get back to that again. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, yeah, we're kind of like kind of skipping around with, uh, you know, like toying around with the format of the show. But yeah, I liked doing the pilot previews. That was awesome. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, thanks guys for uh, sending those emails in and, uh, you know, the rest of the listeners, hey, let, let us hear from you. All right. Well, oh, Dresden Files is unavailable to stream on Netflix. Really? Ah. Well, I did check on Amazon. Cancel my membership. It is a, it is available on Amazon. It looks like uh, at least season one. So uh, you know that's that's you know obviously we'll start at season one. So we'll check it out. We are here to talk about season one, episode three of Dark Angel called Heat that aired October tenth, two thousand. Written by Patrick Harbinson, directed by Michael Cattleman who directed the Primeval movie, directed episode two of Birds of Prey, which was the one entitled Slick, if I'm sure you remember that one. Also directed six episodes of True Calling, which stars Eliza Dushku. Now, you know, I don't know if you and I were talking about this or I was talking about it with my wife, but uh, at this point, Jessica Alba in real life is only 19 years old. and I mean, she does look really young. I mean, of course, she looks young when I see her currently but uh, only 19 went when uh, dark angel was airing during season one so uh, you know interesting stuff all right let's get to the show and you know the first thing i wanted to throw out at you is, is something that i know bothered you last week and probably still bothers you and that's the voiceovers yeah now i guess what struck me this week it's 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 as if she's having these conversations with two aspects of herself 
And I'm wondering, is that just a storytelling device or is it supposed to make us think that, you know, there really is something psychologically at play here, you know, the, uh, you know, not, not a split personality per per se, but, you know, maybe something that's as a result of the genetic engineering that she's been subjected to, or is it just a way to tell the story? That is a good point I hadn't considered. Yeah, that that's a possibility. I'm I'm still not crazy about the voiceovers. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, for for me, voiceovers is kind of like lazy storytelling. You know, yeah. Especially in film, you can do so much that you don't need dialogue to to show everything. Like if you wanted to be more artistic, you could get across that same information uh, in a you know, nonverbal manner. Yeah. Um, so that's a, yeah, and I'm not saying I'm opposed to them just per se all the time, but I think, you know, if you use them too much, it, it's just because it's unnatural. It, it, it takes you out of the story, right? Yeah, sure. So, all right. Well, you know, I don't, I think both of us agree this episode wasn't as good as the pilot, but uh, yeah, I guess that's not unusual. We do have a new title sequence on this episode, which was, I think, much cooler than was- I liked. I, yeah. Well, I don't think we got one at all last time, right? I mean, yeah. it just. Yeah, yeah, I'm not even sure now. I can't even remember. But, uh, but opening scene, we're on this old ship in the harbor, and 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 again, oh, we, just before we, we move on, I just gotta say, Chuck D uh, was the co-writer of the uh, the theme song. Oh, okay. From, from Public Enemy. Oh, okay. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I didn't realize that. So yeah, yeah. he's a guy from from your generation. All right. Well, yeah. I, well, well, he's probably a little older than me, but yeah, like I was, I was big in the public enemy in high school for sure. Yeah. All right. So we've got this old ship in the harbor, and we, we, you know, we've seen this boat before. It looks like it's all rusty. Uh, you know, there's probably some experiment going on in the uh, in the hull, but not not this time. Um, we got. Well, you just knew there's going to be shady guys around there, right. and shady deals. It's just a very sketchy looking place altogether. Yeah. So we got the bad guys arguing over money. Max swoops in, grabs the cash, and leaves the bad guys to blame each other as they pull guns on each other, kill each other. You know, we've seen her, I don't know, is this about the fourth time we've seen her dive into the water and she swims away with the money? So, yeah. Um, well, and then she just totally beats up those two dudes first. Right. Now, you know, there's, there's another, you know, it's really a brief scene right after that where it, it appears she's in bed sleeping. And seeing these visions of a fetus in fluid, uh, you know, a, certainly a well-developed fetus in fluid. And, and I'm thinking, is this supposed to be like she has some sort of memory of her birth or, I mean, I'm wondering, yeah. that, um, you know, now you did, uh, gosh, way back when, didn't you do a little segment on Brave New World? Yes. Um, and and it, it got me to thinking, if you recall, in Brave New World where... Uh, you know, you know, they did things if they were going to breed an individual to say work on the power lines where they would spend most of their working time upside down. They would, you know, while they were still, you know, in, inside the mother, they would, you know, put the mother and make her be upside down. And so I'm wondering if it's, you know, some sort of nod to that. Well, they didn't have mothers in uh, in. Uh Oh right, the right. The test tubes, they or, were, yeah, they right, were in, right. uh, in beakers and stuff. But, but yeah, you're exactly right that they would, um, you know, even before they were born, they would begin to condition them for the role that they, the individual were, was to play when they were decanted. Yeah. So, 
All right. Well, we got a couple storylines here. Uh, you know, certainly one, and maybe even the main one, is, is Max trying to track down Hannah, the woman that that stopped on the road that night of the escape and took her in, albeit briefly, and uh, basically sent her, you know, I guess, on her way to freedom. Logan found records of a SAC base in Gillette Strategic Air Command, and it was kind of unusual. I, I thought this was very cool when he talks when, when he's. He, telling her that for an air force base that had surprisingly few pilots yeah but a lot of what like uh, a lot of like janitors and stuff and uh, well she said he said geneticists dieticians teachers um just and uh it was shut as if as if there were like a whole community there yeah not really anyone flying right and um it shut down three months after the breakout so um you know obviously that's kind of an alarm and there's one individual named Hannah Sokova and Max of course says, well, that must be her. Where, you know, where is she? And, 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 you know, Logan's trying to like get her to uh, not go off half cocked. You know, he says, this is one piece in the bigger puzzle. And, you know, if you go now, you know, you might ruin the whole thing and you think for a second that she might listen to him, but of course, no. Well, I, I didn't because from what even the little I know about her from the pilot, she is, you know, she, she's, she thinks with her heart, not with her head. Yeah. You know? And, and um, that's how he got her to start working for him in the first place. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So he knows that he realizes that about her. So if he didn't want her to go find Hannah, he shouldn't have told her, which then leads me to think he wanted to tell her he wanted her to go because he's, he's too clever by half to, to do that. Right. Now she's also, but I mean, she's also interested in finding Zach, right? The, 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 yes. the boy right. that was in well, her. That's what ultimately she's hoping to do. Right. Right. And, and, and again, I mean, I, I certainly think she's interested in reconnecting with any of them that got out and, and actually survived. And, you know, we don't really know how many that is at this point. I mean, we know that 12 initially escaped, but whether or not all 12 are still alive is probably unlikely when we see the, uh, resolve that Lydiger has, which, uh, I, I guess it's one of my questions. I mean, why is he so focused? I mean, is it merely to cover up this experiment that, that, I mean, clearly it was covert, but, you know, for the time period, was it that shocking? Well, I mean, yeah, I th- yeah, I think, but um, I, I don't know if the cover-up is really his thing. You know, like, he was creating weapons here, you know? Like, it's almost like, you know, you create this awesome bomb and someone steals it. Okay. Or even worse, it gets up and walks off by itself. So you'd be interested in getting that back simply because you've been really thinking about using this thing okay. and you want to see what it can do, you know? Okay. So you think it's that as, as opposed to like maybe being afraid of what they might do on their own, because, you know, somebody like Max, she clearly doesn't want to hurt anybody. She's now, we don't know what the rest of them are like. Right. Yeah. That, that could be, that's very likely as well. Probably more likely than what I said, but also I'm throwing this out here as the least likely of our three now predictions is that he is like her father or something. Uh, oh, you know? okay. Like all this stuff about her mom and everything. And yeah, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe there's something going on here. Well, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's personal. Yeah, it could be. Um, well, we'll see. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say no, but, but you never know. Now, um, you know, as all of this is going on, you, you've got the 
the title of the episode heat and you know at first you think oh is it mean because the heat's on with uh Leidiger, you know hot on her tail but uh no it's that she has feline dna sprinkled in with her own and th- three times a year she goes into heat right and she has to scratch the itch <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also in the bar scene, we learned something about Kendra that, you know, last time we talked, you said that, right? Weren't you trying to tell me that she was a lesbian? Yes. Right. Well, she's so not. No. Like I, even original, original Cindy says, well, you, you're heterosexual. Yeah. I, I had it backwards. Okay. So yeah, you're, you're right on that. Um, okay. But, and you know, that's. You never a, get tired of hearing those words. Now, now. <laughs> Now that's another thing that comes up in in the show, and and you know this is two thousand. You know, um, dealing with same sex couples. You know, I don't want to say it's it's old news in two thousand fourteen television because that's certainly it's, not it's, true. It's certainly not as shocking. Yeah, and and not and and I I like the way they're dealing with it so far. They're just kind of like yeah, you know, matter of fact, here it is. Um, you know, it's right. like uh, um, you're heteros- heterosexual. What does she see in him? Uh, just, you know, so I really like that. And, you know, well, again, we'll see how that plays out. Max is in the bar. And uh, again, I'm not sure, you know, the, the one thing I, I found in this episode that I guess I didn't like is that there were too many scenes that I really, at this point, I don't understand what they add to the overall story arc. And one is the bar scene with the bikes on the bar. Right. You know, I mean, it was kind of cool, but at the end of the day, what did it really do? Yeah, um, yeah. Right, well, what wasn't uh, what's his name? Oh yeah, uh, right. He, the, he was the bike rider from her from yeah, work sketch. Yeah. So he's he's kind of helping out later, but yeah. yeah. Other than that, you're right. Right now, you know, a- along with finding out that she goes into heat three times a year, and, and she does seem to recognize that while she feels the the need to to scratch the itch, if you will, that she also realizes she needs to be careful and that, that the ramifications could be worse than, uh, you know, anything positive that would come out of it. But the other thing we learn is that apparently she doesn't sleep, which is kind of a recurring theme with super soldiers in sci-fi. So again, we don't know if, if does she literally mean she doesn't sleep or so we'll, so we'll see at this point, but, uh, she, but, but, but that's totally like, I mean, well, anytime really you're going to have your troubled hero, um, you know, and all the way back to Macbeth, the, 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 though he's not really a hero, but, um, but yeah, the inability to sleep is a, is a big part of showing how, you know, kind of tortured and inner turmoil is going on. Right. And she realizes all of this is a byproduct of her genetic engineered self. So in terms of being self-aware, she, she is, and, and, you know, again, she's gotten this far. And, you know, I think we, we, we learned that Lydiger has been after her, we assume, this entire time. But uh, she goes back to the bar. because Well, first of all, she leaves the bar because uh, Logan calls her. But she goes back, takes Eric home, and he falls asleep before they can do anything. Uh, yeah, you know, I just got to hit the BS button right here. Like, yeah. listen, like, I don't care how much you've had to drink. Yeah. If, if somebody looks like Jessica Alba takes you home, it, you're not going to fall asleep. No one's going to fall asleep. Yeah. 
No, I'm that's, with, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm with you there. But uh, the next day, she gets a package at work, and Eric has sent her. Uh, I think one of the most romantic gifts I've seen in television. A, yeah, motor oil. Motor oil, which it's, appa- it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, which <laughs> which is apparently in short supply, I guess. And, and you know, there's a few things that that I want to bring out tonight that that we learn. Uh, about the society, and I'm not sure we really know why, but but certainly, uh, you know, those things are there. All right. Well, anyway, she realizes if she's going to get to Hannah, she's got to get past a sector checkpoint. So that's one of the questions. Why do we have sector checkpoints? What is it that, you know, because again, it seems as if they're keeping the people in right. rather than trying to prevent people you know, from coming yeah. in. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely to, uh, to keep people from, from getting out. So there could be a number of reasons uh, for that. And, and when you say sector, you know, you realize now they have people segmented off into different, you know, into different sectors where people are in different areas, different people in different areas that, you know, obviously don't want them crossing over and interacting with the other sector. So, yeah, it's... It's a little bit more than we saw in the pilot. You know, we mentioned how we see the evidence of police state kind of in the background, but it really was only minimally uh, at the forefront. But uh, now we really see the police state uh, a, a lot more in this episode. Right. And, you know, she's she thinks that Eric has a connection. It turns out he really doesn't. He was just lying to... Uh which which surprised nobody, right? No, exactly. Um, she runs the roadblock, um, and we also realize that she can, like a cat, see in the dark. And because um, at first I thought there was something about the glasses that she always wears that have that yellow tinted glass in them, that that somehow helped her see. But that that's probably uh, just something to cut glare or whatever. But one of the things, and I'd I'd read an article. Uh, gosh, it's probably been about a year ago. Where, where some writer on some genre TV show was talking about the the danger of when you use gadgets in a show. So he's waiting. Uh, Eric's waiting for her on the dock, and the pager goes off. Drink. Our students probably wouldn't even know what a pager is, would they? Yeah, I doubt it. And, yeah, and that, then that, in, in, that was long ago. In fact, um, then what he has to do is go to a payphone. <laughs> and calls uh, as it turns out it's, they, they don't know what payphones are either yeah actually. i'm pretty sure um but man was that cool or what what logan does which is basically to hijack yeah. the comm system yes of lydiger yeah that was that was super cool you know that, that was really cool yeah impersonating team two says they've got max uh meet at the rally point and uh oh man it was just perfect now whether she knew I mean, you, you know, cause, cause that was happening. Remember when she and, and Hannah were under that bridge hiding on the ledge? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yes. Right. And the one, and the team was up, you know, on, in their Humvees kind of looking right. I don't think they really searched really all that well. No, no, but they were about to. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, so we wonder whether she could hear the radio, you know, I mean, certainly she could hear the vehicles drive off and, and knew knew she was safe but uh right and then i love the improvised zip line escape yeah that was cool uh, you know my uh my oldest son was just showing me this uh video on youtube of people uh, i'm not sure where it was but they were doing this they had this zip line going off of a building it was like over across a bay 
And then, um, you know, so they zip line about halfway down and they let go and they base jump the rest of the way, which was just crazy. Wow. It was insane. Yeah. Oh man. It's pretty cool though. Um, now the, the other thing that I'm, you know, not crazy about, I, I felt like the, you know, there was a, maybe a little bit too much action in this, the, the escape scene, maybe a little too long. I mean, it wasn't inordinate, but again, in a 40 minute show, um, I guess it could have been shorter, but you know, she and Hannah escaped through the woods and I, I, I was waiting for Hannah to fall and sprain her ankle, but thank God they didn't use that trope. Um, well, she, she did, didn't she? Well, she fell, she fell but I don't think she, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. she just like fell down, like leave me. Well, you know, they did the leave me thing. She's like, no, I'm not leaving you. you know, right. like, so, see, that's a, that, that like bugged me just because, you know, again, a show like this, it has like such a fresh original idea, a fresh original take for them to fall back on such a such an unbelievable cliche of every chasing ever done was disappointing. Right. But I, I must say, and you'll, you'll probably disagree with me and tell me I'm a sap, but, <laughs> but <laughs> I was definitely not expecting, right. They, it's like, they're about to be caught. She can't get the little motorboat engine started. Here comes the big boat that you assume are the bad guys. And no, it's Eric who stole a boat and here's coming to the rescue. So, uh, I didn't necessarily see that one coming. Yeah, I didn't see it coming, but you are a sad. <laughs> uh, because like, cause Eric is totally annoying, right? Oh, he, he, you know, he's so annoying. I love him <laughs> as a character. Yeah, I don't know if I love him. I, th- I think I just found him annoying. So, but when he rescued, yeah, I'll admit it was kind of cool. I was like, oh, it's Eric, yo. More like it's like, uh, well, I guess someone had to save him, you know. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they get home. And in one of the funniest scenes, I think, in the whole episode, Eric breaks up with Max. And yeah, that that I like. Yeah, and Max that, that is just good. trying to be, you know, I I I was waiting for her to even, you know, maybe try to shed a little fake tear, but I don't think she had that in her. But yeah. uh, you know, so it'll be curious to see whether uh, Eric shows up again. I mean, you know, he's the kind of character that that he he definitely provides obviously the comic relief and and you know i could see him proving valuable somewhere down the road um now logan's got a passport travel documents and you know now max gets to come full circle and now she can help hannah escape to safety and you know give her the money which we assume was probably from that hall with the bad guys on the boat right but did you notice hannah says you know it's not safe for you around here And she tells her, I can take care of myself. Plus there's someone around here who needs me. And I, you know, I, I, she's got a purpose now. And, and clearly there's some things that she wants out of Logan, but you know, I think she realizes that, that he does need her. And it's more than I think just physical in, in the sense that he's in a wheelchair, you know, and is limited physically that, uh, you know, he does have a cause and I think she recognizes it. And again, you know, she's like, you, you mentioned, I think last week, the reluctant hero. Yeah. And, you know, she's buying into what he's trying to do. Not, she hasn't really jumped in with both feet yet, but you know, we'll see now. Yeah, exactly. She's still, she's slightly less reluctant than she was, uh, in the, the pilot, but still is not quite all in with Logan's plan. Right now, but she does obviously, but there's also, there's definitely a connection between the two. I think that's part of why she's helping them out is because she does feel this kind of attraction to him. Yeah. Now, you know, that scene where we see Logan 
uh, going through physical therapy, you know, or we really see the end of it. And, and, you know, he's like so determined to the point that he wants to overdo it. And fortunately his physical therapist won't let him, but you know, I'm wondering, you know, it's like Barbara, you know, we, we had that feeling all along that, are we going to see her walk? And of course, you know, obviously we did with Barbara because she had that, uh, you know, that contraption that she, w- she was able to strap on. But, you know, you wonder, are we going to see now? Granted, I think he says he has a severed spinal uh, column or something. So, but it is 2018 or 2019. So who knows what uh, science uh, will be available. But, right. But he was, yeah, I mean, he was getting around a little bit. So it looks like he might be, you know, I think if they show the scene mm. with him being in rehab, like that's totally there to show, okay, this guy is. He's going to be up and walking again. Right. Now, did you like the Che Guevara t-shirt he was wearing? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Che Guevara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that was cool. And very appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Um, And I don't think it was the thing back then that that it is like... Uh, like recently the the you know fashion statement right now does he use the phrase quid pro quo with her yes okay right and she does know what it means and and that's kind of what you know that she's going to help him in return for him finding information about zach and and the others but you know i i think right and that's also like kind of straight out of silence of the lambs too right uh gosh it's been so long since i've seen it i don't, I don't re- even remember that was that, that was the whole thing but with uh hannibal lecter and clarice he's like you know quid pro quo oh right 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 when uh when he's like okay i'll tell you something you gotta tell me something yeah. you know like he makes her tell them about you know when they slaughtered the lambs and everything yeah now the other thing i really liked about logan is is that you know we run across these characters that we know are smart we know are really highly intelligent and then they do something stupid and and you know, Lydiger realizes what's going on and he's like, who is this? And Logan can hear him. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure you're doing the same thing. It's like, don't say anything, which he has the good sense to not say anything. But you know, it's again, it's one of those things that how many times has the person said something and it's like, okay, now you're going to get caught. Right. But I'll tell you who I am, buddy, and where I'm, where I'm staying. So you can come get me. Yeah. Um, some catchy quotes. Got a blaze. Maybe we can kick it sometime late. <laughs> and, you know, like uh, Bradley brought up my, you know, my, the thing I said, I guess, the last time about the, the dialogue and, and the, uh, the vernacular for the cyberpunk. And, and, and I get it. You know, it's just, I guess it's just so foreign that, that sometimes it's, it, I don't even know. But, uh, but I, I'm good with it. It, it is what it is. Um, yeah i mean you just kind of i i really don't like even notice it so like you know um and not that because i'm in on i think i just kind of like push past it and say okay oh i kind of get what i know what they're talking about basically you know you 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 didn't seriously loft it with gilligan yeah (laughs) yeah there's (laughs) that's good now i have to call them out on that one because this is in the future and like nowadays like a 19 year old nowadays i don't think we really know who gilligan was so Uh, yeah um Good point. Now, now the other story that we've got going on is, you know, we learn a little bit about Max's background and a little bit more about Project Manticore. I mean, we learned a lot about that in the pilot. Is there, you know, at first, is there something about Max that she's actually in heat? I mean, you know, that that we know she was given the feline DNA, which allows her to pull off her jumps, but 
you know, I mean, is this something that that uh, you know that has procreation at its core? That that this was part of the, you know, the actual experiment that uh, you know that they were going to pair the female uh, group members up with male and just create this little army over time. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's very possible. Yeah. I mean, right now we really we know so little about Manticore that, but. Yeah, but the, you're right. The it seemed like there was an even number of males and females, so maybe that was their uh, design. Yeah. Now we find out there's a designation. Her group was X five, um, and you know the interesting thing it, when when she tracks down Hannah and she's remembering her experience, and she says, you know, we didn't know anything of the outside world. I didn't know anything about mothers and fathers. You know that that they told us all. It was as if we were all born of each other which she points out, you know, just yeah, helped them to, you know, create that, that team identity, I guess. And, um, you know, she notices that it was only the, the barracks and that uh, she loves the warmth of Hannah's house and, and the smallness of it, you know, almost like, uh, you, know, you know, like an animal. I mean, you've had dogs and, and you know, they like those, those tight places where they feel really secure, sure. you know, and, and uh, yeah. that was really interesting, I thought. But I, I guess the biggest plot point occurs when Max asks about her mother. And at first, Hannah tells her she doesn't know anything. Uh, right, we're not buying that. Right. And then at the very end, she comes clean. We assume she's telling the truth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume she's telling the truth. Sure. Um, There's no reason really for her not to. Right, at that I point. Well, I guess there's plenty because this whole thing is shrouded in so much secrecy. But yeah, you know, she kind of just saved her life. So. Right. But she had told her that you know the young women only carried the in, in vitro babies and then were just basically sent on their way and max at first like oh figures you know only doing it for the money and you know it's almost as if she loses interest momentarily until hannah tells her that yeah she, she says uh that her mother was oh another girl looking to get paid yeah yeah which kind of is really what she's all about i was about to say yeah exactly yeah um but then Hannah tells her that your mother wasn't like the others and that seven months into the pregnancy, her mother tried to escape, that she didn't want to give up her baby and that she fought so hard they had to put her under just to deliver, eventually moved her to a psychiatric facility, doesn't know her name, but she would be about Max's age, which I guess now we'd say she's probably about 38 then. So, uh, yeah, right. You know, maybe she's got the cell next to Sarah Connor. <laughs> it could be. But they're doing pull-ups together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, certainly in terms of uh, you know, some of the questions, is the story going to start moving in that direction? I mean, not that she's going to stop looking for Zach and any of the others of her group, but you know, is is she going to now be more determined to try to track down her mother and I'll say yes. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, you know, but it gives you a nice little, you know, overall kind of uh quest that can cover multiple episodes while still doing you know logan's bidding on a case-by-case you know monster of the week type uh organizational structure there yeah and i'm not sure how i feel about that you know i'm almost hoping it doesn't go that direction but you know but we'll see i mean i mean if it does and then they tie everything together well then that's going to be really cool uh, what, what, yeah, well, yeah, I, I would imagine at first, especially, they're not going to really go into any too much of an overall arc just because it's a new show and you want people to watch it. And so you don't want people to 
to step in and say, oh, I don't know what's going on, so I'm not going to watch anymore. You know, you want people to, to you know, sit down. Oh, obviously, it didn't happen, really. Well, right. Uh, well, it happened a little bit, I guess, for, for the first season. Well, even, um, but in, even in 2000, I mean, you know, story arcs that were long and drawn out really weren't the norm the way they are now. No, no. Yeah, right. Because this is all pre-24, pre-lost and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, one of the questions comes up, you know, we were talking about sectors a little bit ago. Is this going to be sort of like the Hunger Games with the districts? I mean, who's in control of the city? What's the government like? Who, you know, who's in charge? And, sure. yeah. and you know, Seattle uh, clearly has been physically devastated and and you know what happened i mean you know we talked about the pulse bomb last week that knocked out the electronics but you know what's the deal here well i mean what would happen anywhere if all of a sudden all your electronics went out you know i mean it's very likely chaos would ensue well yeah but i mean it's not like revolution where nothing works right i mean clearly engines work here now, right. now, gas and oil might be in short supply, but but they do exist, and engines do run. Um, but if it is it is this where they say like America became a third world country overnight? Yeah, right. So it's just like you know, resources are short. It's not that necessarily that physically you can't do things, but now like order breaks down. There's you know violence in the streets. Law and order is not there to maintain the peace. And people turn on each other. Yeah, but but are there sections of the country that are doing fine? We wonder. I I would say if there's a section that's not doing fine, there's always going to be one somewhere that is. Yeah, right? yeah. So well, th- that also leads me to the question about you know that scene where Max's roommate is holding that class where she's teaching Japanese to children. Right, which I wasn't sure of until she said "dummy arigato" at the end. I mean, is it because it, I like sticks? <laughs> I mean, is that a nod to the fact that Japan now runs things internationally, or perhaps that Japan's stepped up its emigration? You know, the but why why study Japanese? You know, I'm, that, I'm wondering it, if that's going to be I something. I mean, obviously Seattle on the West Coast, you know, is as close to Japan as you're going to get, but I mean, there has to be a reason. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, it could also be like they're hoping to emigrate to Japan, yeah, right? Yeah, Because like, maybe Japan's still the only so- one of the few solvent countries on the earth. So, you know, they, maybe their hope is like just as people hope to come to America, maybe in, in this world people hope to be able to emigrate to Japan. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, look, you look at historically what Japan's done. Um, so... You know, who's to say they didn't didn't recover again? Um, now, the other one was at the end of the class, the little girl comes up and says her mother didn't have any money. W- could she take this? And we're wondering what it is. And she opens it and it's like, oh, real coffee. Um, well, okay. Well, if coffee's in such short supply, how does the mother with no money have coffee? I don't know. You know, I might be in too much <laughs> right. of a nitpicker. But but I, I think it speaks more to... Well, yeah, I mean, the, just... Yeah, maybe she works at a coffee factory, you know. Yeah, maybe good she's point. she's got a boyfriend who got a coffee connection here, you know. So yeah, actually, you're there's right. There's a bunch of possibilities. But, but, and I think the important thing, though, is to, to just kind of drive home the point that, that there are shortages. That, that you know, that, that I mean, not that we couldn't figure that was probably the case, but, um, you know, something like coffee is important then, just like it is now. 
Well, I don't. I don't like coffee. But well, I don't either. You'll drink coffee. Either, no, do you? no, I don't either. But uh, I mean, the way I drink tea is the way uh, I'm. I'm worse with tea than almost anybody I know with coffee. So, uh, um, yeah. All right. Now, now the last question I I had was, you know, with with Max's evasive skills. Now, look, clearly we know she was trained to to evade, and and she even says that uh, you know she was trained to just be on the move constantly when you're in enemy territory, which is why she leaves Hannah's house as a child, you know, immediately. Um, I mean, is this the first time that, that Lydiger's gotten close or has she been chased before? I mean, has she been in Seattle the whole time or has she been moving around? I mean, we know she started in Wyoming, so, um, you know, she's still more or less on, you know, that third of the country. Right. Yeah. I, I really got a feeling from the pilot that that was like the first real good sniff he got at her. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like if he, and, and I think that is the truth because as you can see how aggressively he's pursuing her, had he known where she was before then, then we can only assume he would have been as aggressively pursuing her at, just as he is now. Yeah. So Right. Right now, we did talk last. And he was close. He couldn't get closer than he was in the pilot. She walked right past him when she was carrying the girl out of that place. Right, good point. Um, all right, well, we did establish that it, that the, is the space needle that Max sits on, right? Because she brings it up with Logan. Um, yeah, have you ever been on the space? So he's like, "Why would I ever?" <laughs> well, we're gonna have to do something about that. But uh, you know, I mean, I like the episode a lot. I mean, I don't think it was as good as uh, the pilot, but. You know, how often is the next episode better than the pilot? I mean, so we'll see. I mean, yeah. I think we're both into it enough. We're, we're going to keep going and oh, yeah, see where, it, sure. see where really it takes enjoy. us. Enjoy. And, and I think we can't overlook the fact that this is 2000. You know, I mean, not, not that this is groundbreaking, but, you know, like we said last week, there really haven't been any cyberpunk sci-fi shows out there. I mean, they just really haven't been any that explored this this genre so you know it's interesting certainly yeah, in that well, yeah i mean dollhouse to a little bit but you know again that was certainly very short live mm-hmm. though right yeah so but that's not really cyberpunk you know because i mean with cyberpunk where where your characters are are more like on the fringes of society they're you know borderline you know i mean you know it's it, a lot like with firefly where from a moral standpoint you know, they're always on the edge there. They're always like teetering the fence and that like when push comes to shove and they've got to make a moral decision, they reluctantly do the right thing, but they don't necessarily want to. It's almost like they have to. So either way, um, I was thinking like mostly season two, but Hey, listeners out there, you want to rush to my defense and show how dollhouse does have cyberpunk elements. Uh, you can email us at, <laughs> Yeah, whatever that address I don't know is. the email, that's why I can't yeah. say. Just whatever Dave said at the beginning. Yep. So uh anyway, got anything else you want to say about Dark Angel? Uh no. Well the one thing is that I found that Logan his like jealousy, he was jealous of Eric. Yeah. And Eric's like, dude, we broke up. And and, and but Logan's still like acting like a, a hard case. And and then she tells him like we were never even a thing. Right. And he's still like all pissy, so you know. He gets his. He can get his, his feathers ruffled fairly easily. I think. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. Let's actually talk about awesome, and that would be Doctor Who. Yeah, absolutely. And we're three episodes in now to season yep. eight. 
I think we again, I think we both agree from from talking at work that we have bought in totally with the new doctor. Right? Yeah. Um Oh, that's no, that he, sounds uh no, no, no. I'm, I'm not backpedaling. I'm just like kind of to get my thoughts together. In that, I always thought that Matt Smith, especially at first, I really felt like he was kind of playing David Tennant. Okay, you know, like I, I, I didn't see a huge difference between David Tennant's Doctor and Matt Smith. Now, as the character evolved, as Matt Smith developed the character more, yes, I, I he became a much different character. Uh, well, not much different, but but I could see the difference. But here. Uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor is so radically different from any of the the previous uh, three guys or four, if you count John Hurt, that it's really kind of cool, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um, you know, we talked about the 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 first episode that that it started kind of, I, I guess, maybe uneven. And 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 again, I think most critics, and and again, you and I said, talked about this also that. You know, a lot of it was due to him regaining his footing that that he was disoriented after the regeneration. Uh, absolutely, and the same thing with David Tennant's first one. Uh, I'm so annoyed with David Tennant through almost the whole episode because he was basically in bed, yeah, the whole time, right? Yeah, and and Rose is like, he's not my doctor. I'm like, yeah, he's not my doctor either. Right. You know? uh, and so. Yeah, they, they shouldn't do that. Well, I, mean, but I guess you have to, like, have the doctor. But, you know, here, Peter Capaldi at first seems so grumpy and nasty and just a, a jerk. Uh, but the, it's just really the doctor being disoriented, trying to get used to the uh, um, to to his new body. Yeah. You know, with Matt Smith, they made it much more funny. You know, it's much lighter with him. Uh, Although he did get know, dark at the end, though. True. Right. But but that was oh, a nice Peter Capaldi or Matt Smith, uh, Matt Smith, right? Yes, at the, yeah, at the very end of the eleventh hour, yes. right? But but that, it was such a good transition the way they did it. I mean, because it evolved over time so much. Um, now in that first episode of season eight, uh, I, you know, on the one hand, I think it's always good when we see Jenny Astra and Strax. There were, you know, I don't know. There, there were so many things that that were brought out with them that you know, on the one hand, boy, the three of them could probably even have their own show. Well, that, that actually, that, that was, there was rumored to be a thing that, that this was going to be some kind of spinoff. Oh, but, uh, didn't, it didn't happen, I guess. Okay. But, uh, but I could definitely see that, but I really love the dynamic with them and, you know, it was good to see, I don't know how much, if we're going to see them again in, in, um, season eight, but it was certainly good. I, I, I imagine we'll see a lot more because I mean, it's just, I think, the reaction to them overall is favorable. I mean, there's um, a lot of people who are like, you know, poo poo them and say, you know, that they're a distraction, but I think most people like really enjoy them. And I, I love it when they're on, you know? Well, well, sure. Absolutely. And you know, the, the, the cool thing about that, the end of that first episode was, uh, you know, that question, did that robot man jump or did the doctor push him? Yeah, will we will we ever find out? You know, and and you know that that uh, again, I'm starting to forget which episode the doctor asks Clara, "Am I a good man?" And right, and I don't think she answers him really. Does she, she? Well, at the end, she says, "I don't know." Yeah, and 
I, he should have said, I, that's not an answer. Right. But <laughs> but is that going to be the path we take in season eight? And if it is, that, that could be awesome about, again, his quest to find out, really, am I a good person? Am I a good man? Right. And, and you know, listening to the Doctor Who podcast, it seems like they were frustrated with her with uh, um, Clara because you know well you you know all this whole thing about that's not the doctor well you know it is you saw him regenerate you know it happened right there in front of you um, but I guess like the same thing Rose was very confused as well when it went from Eccleston to Tennant right yeah um, I guess that's that's kind of natural but Clara especially in that first episode was really seemingly treating him like he was a completely different person and it was he was just disoriented and and as vastra said he needs your help right now right and and instead of you wringing your hands complaining about how he's not like you want him to be help him oh my god and speaking about you know just scenes that uh are are just so moving so emotional i mean that scene at the end when when she gets the call from matt smith's doctor yeah you know yeah that was that was that was wild yeah so i mean certainly i mean i didn't see that one coming at all and i'm so glad we we stayed spoiler free now um i'm not a huge dalek fan even though i want a dalek for my studio here (laughs) right um but i loved the twist in the in the second episode yeah um I I I like the Daleks. I think they're they're great. Uh, I think they're a fantastic baddie, uh, especially the the completely implacable type uh, bad guy is is fantastic. Uh, you know, like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica. Um, but uh, you know, to hear a Dalek talk about like beauty and all that stuff, it seemed a bit much. Mm-hmm. It was a little difficult to swallow. See, but I guess that's what I liked is that it was like the anti-Dalek. And and I was wondering what was going to happen. I mean, was it you know? It's like, is it planting the seed that you know? Here's the first. You know, then will that lead to a second, and then a third, and you know, of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, right, right. But I mean, if you got just one Dalek, as we saw in that episode, can do some damage, right? Who was it that didn't realize that the Dalek was actually a living being? Can't remember now. Well, the 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 well, it was just the people in the uh, it, that had captured it, right? Oh, I guess so. Yeah, I think, I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm not positive. Yeah, it wasn't the doctor. Obviously, I don't think it was Clara. I think it was. He said that to uh, the girl. I can't remember the girl's name, but the girl who went in with them, the soldier. Mm-hmm. But uh, now, what'd you think of the episode this past week? Yeah, you know, I, at first I, I wasn't sure about it. at first the the whole fighting with the sword and the doctor with a spoon seemed a little silly at first. But, uh, you know, once this whole, like the conflict between the doctor and, uh, Robin hood, uh, it was a very funny episode, I thought. And, and I, I really enjoyed it in, in much the same way that I enjoyed Robin hood movies when I was a kid, yeah. you know, because of the adventure, the snappy dialogue, the, uh, the, the love interest, uh, the sword play, all the arrows, all of it, every everything that went into like a, a great, you know, uh, like a, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movie, um, is what I enjoyed about this Doctor Who. Well, yeah, and the other thing that I think is really cool about what they're doing here, because I mean, look, in the past, I mean, there's always been that hint of a romantic relationship, even though we never saw anything between the companion and the Doctor, and. 
you know, now he got that out of the way in the first episode. I'm not your boyfriend. And, you know, the dynamic between the two, I thought was so cool because like you're, you're talking about all these things about Robin Hood. And I mean, that's, you know, the whole dashing hero that the, the women love and the girls adore. And, and that's Clara, right? I mean, she's, she's smitten. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. You know, and then, um, you know, so, so it's, are we going to see that, you know, in their adventures where it's almost like he's got to pull her back from doing something stupid. Um, but then I like the way they got out of it at the end that made Marion and here reunited. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah, which is, yeah, that was, that was, that was a nice touch there for sure. So, yeah. And that's what I liked. I think my favorite companion was, has always been Donna Noble because there was never a hint of romance between them. And whenever someone said, Oh, are you together? They were like, both of them were like, Oh no, 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 no. Like both of them were like vehemently denying it. Um, and how the things you say, look how skinny you are and everything. Like, it was just, it was, it was great because and I'm not saying that the, um, the potential attraction between like the Rose and David Tennant or, or um, Amy and uh, Matt Smith, that that was a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all, but it was just, you know, when that is kind of removed and they can just, and, and, and then they acknowledge it. Right. When he says up front, I'm not your boyfriend. I think that oh, just adds a dimension to the show. As you said, that's uh, really, really good. Yeah. And, and when you go back to it, really, I mean, look, Clearly, Rose was in love with the doctor, right? I mean, I don't think there's right. any no, no question, right? Well, yeah, she because like in order to get him to stop following around, he's like, here, let me, here's here's the, I'll make another one of me. You can have him, right? Right, and you know, yeah. Martha. No, I don't think there was any hint of that. I think it was it was just really a professional. Oh, with Martha, you think? Yeah. Oh, really? Sure. She was. Oh, yeah. She was even worse than Rose. I think. Oh, okay, man. I'm gonna have to go back and yeah, watch she season was three always again. Mooning over. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. She was totally mooning about the the doctor and everything. Remember, she's always complaining like, "Oh, I don't even know if he notices me," uh, and like things like that. Okay. Yeah, like, uh, good. Yeah, she was. She was. She was definitely. She was probably the worst of them. Oh, okay. Oh, man. I'm but, a- I mean, not worse of a companion because I like Martha a lot as a companion. But as far as someone who seems who was love struck, I think she was even worse than Rose as far as that. Yeah, goes. because really, I mean, some of the best episodes are are season three with her. You know, I mean, there. Well, of course, there yeah. are so many yeah. good episodes, but right. Um, right, but yeah, there's some the Doctor's Daughter and Blink, and yeah, there's some good ones in that. Oh, season. wow. That's, no, you're right. They're all good. Shakespeare and. <laughs> Shakespeare Code, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a fantastic one. But uh, well, anyway, so I think yeah, the listeners can tell we're 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 definitely good with Doctor Who so far. And anyway, got anything else? That's all for for me. Yeah, no. Well, this is actually just one thing, and the the guys on the Doctor Who podcast were talking about this. How um, you know how in the first one he keeps saying. Why did I pick this face? Like, I, why did I choose this face? And uh, apparently, you know. Russell T. Davies had wanted Peter Capaldi as a doctor and had some kind of storyline that would reconcile the fact that there's this guy that the doctor met back in Pompeii who looks just like the guy that he is now and why that has happened. So I don't know if, you know, um, you know, again, the guys in the Doctor Who podcast were saying Stephen Moffat approached Russell T. Davies and got his blessing to use the story. So will that be a factor this season? I don't know. But that's uh, it, it was interesting that they had that line in there a couple times. Oh, that is cool. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, because I, I did like the fact that, that you know, it, it really was an emotional issue for him, the fact that 
I was young and now I'm old. So not only does he have to deal with it, but Clara's got to deal with it. And, you know, uh, so far I really like the way they're handling it. And yeah, he's got to think about like, what am I trying to tell myself? Like I was, I I know I sent myself a message by choosing this. I I just, I'm not sure what that, that message is, but, but he, you know, I think, I think they've both kind of settled in and are accepting of, of him as he is now. And, um, but like the, the jokes uh, between Robin Hood about his age and everything, like when Robin Hood's like, you know, you should be the one to, to moan. He's, he'll believe it more because you're older and everything. And, uh, and then how he says, you know, you look pale and everything. It was, it was just really funny. Great dialogue. I loved it. We're glad you guys could join us tonight. And if you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the Fatalist website. And we will be back next week to talk about Dark Angel Episode 4, titled Flushed. But until then, Dave, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> <laughs>